Hi, if you're just finding this YouTube, uh, I'm Dylan Sharp, and I've been fascinated by the metaverse or the coming metaverse for the last decade. Um, and in this podcast, I'll be exploring everything to do with Web3, crypto, NFTs, play to earn gaming, um, and all of the, the stuff that's around it. Um, today, I'm joined by Mikhail from Certic. Um, I think Certic needs no introduction, but before we get to the meat and potatoes of what Certic is all about, um, Mikhail, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, about me, well, I actually have a uh, traditional banking background and um, got into the uh, crypto space really uh, not that far long ago. It was actually around the pandemic, um, really uh, realized the importance of decentralized finance, how it's disrupting the traditional legacy system, and decided to do a deep dive and uh, landed a job working for a crypto marketing agency. And um, yeah, I work with a lot of different projects, some reputable, some not so much. But one thing that I noticed was a common theme, which was Certic, uh, was um, a very big uh, auditor in the space and uh, decided to uh, shift gears and uh, join the team. And uh, it's been an amazing roller coaster so far. So yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, no, two board guys from the banking world talking about DeFi. Um, it's, you know, I, I've only been um, heavily, heavily in crypto since about June. I mean, I've always been watching crypto coins, but um, I, I consider myself a value investor. And so NFTs are what really got me excited. Um, and the moment I started to get in, um, you know, my professional background came in and I thought to myself, well, who's doing the checkups, right? I mean, you know, in code we trust, which is amazing, and everything being decentralized is so important. But, you know, there are going to be certain human elements or danger zones that need to be taken care of. And so I automatically started looking for who the big auditors were, and Certic's name came up again and again. And, um, you know, I did a stint in jewelry as well. I was in seven years specializing in uh, fine jewelry and in the jewelry world we have the same thing right you don't touch a diamond without a gia certificate um, it, it's just a no-go and um, so can you tell us basically certic's story and um, what what it came to try and solve in the market absolutely yeah so uh the the company started in 2017 and the ultimate goal is to bring adoption to the marketplace, to the, to the crypto space. And uh, the only way to do that is to instill trust and transparency, right? And that's something that uh, is, a, is, a, is a big challenge right now, especially what we're seeing with these uh, hacks that are occurring. I mean, you look at 2021, we've got 1.3 billion that has been lost. Uh, over 44 DeFi hacks uh, in the year 2021. That's up from 500 million in 2020. So obviously there's a lot of work to be done here, right? Uh, we need a trusted source, somebody that has the reputation, somebody that has the tools uh, in order to shed some uh, transparency and be that element of trust. Uh, and that's kind of where Certic uh, has built its name. Uh, a lot, the biggest asset 
to CERDIC has been the team of engineers. Uh, we've got engineers from Facebook, Uber, uh, Microsoft, and although you know these are centralized companies, they're very reputable in the space, right? And so when you're looking at from a talent standpoint, uh, CERDIC has done an amazing job of generating uh, talent that has not only allowed uh, the company to create very reputable audits, but also to create tools within the company in order to provide more value for uh, these projects that are needing the audits. Right. You touched on a couple of points I'll come back to, but I, I think just in case anyone listening isn't quite clear about Certic's offering, uh, let's go through your core offerings. So the, the primary one that I think everyone knows about is the Certic audit. Um, what is the goal of a Certic audit? What is the process for a Certic audit? Yeah, so uh, the in terms of the, the process of what our clients can expect, it's very simple. They provide a source code for us. Uh, we take a look at that, make an assessment based on how long we think it's going to take based on the complexity of the code, uh, what type of platform it's on. We use this information to generate a quotation, right? And so we come back with a quotation. Uh, and then once we agree to terms, we then begin the review. Uh, we use a formal verification process, uh, which is uh, very difficult to implement um, because you need a team of talented engineers. But if done correctly, it's amazing at catching uh, mistakes early on in the process. Uh, so that's our style when it comes to a smart contract audit. Uh, now, during the review, once the review is complete, we then provide a preliminary report. And with, through this report, you as the founder have an opportunity to either acknowledge the findings in the report uh, or to alleviate those findings, right? And then, you know, we'll give you ample time to do those things. And then once you're ready, you come back with the updated code. Uh, we will then do another review and um, provide you an updated report. And then we, it's just a little bit of a dance back and forth until we generate that final report, which gets listed on our uh, security leaderboard. So to be clear, the, the client is the person coming forward with the code uh, that you're checking, but the audit is public so everyone can see what has been done and what has not been done. Is, is that correct? Yeah, so CERDIC is a little different than some of the other auditors. We Our audits are done with the community in mind. And so in this world where we're trying to create as much transparency and trust as possible, we have this security leaderboard that has an enormous community of retail investors and institutions and exchanges that come to this place to evaluate and assess the quality of the projects. So once an audit is complete, that final report gets listed on the security leaderboard along with some of the other tools that uh, CERDIC offers. Good, and um, speaking of those tools, I think in recent years, you've started adding Skynet and Skytrace, if I'm correct on that. Um, I mean, I, I was looking into that myself when I was researching a couple of companies and it, it really does go in depth, but for anyone not familiar, can we tell them a little bit about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So what we're finding is that a standard audit, it's, it's the core of what you need, but it really is the start. What you really need is more of on-chain and really some off-chain data to really help paint a picture of what's really going on. And so through Skynet, you've got a multiple thing, you got a multiple things going on there. You've got a easy to read security score, which makes it easier to read uh, for a typical investor, but there's some things going on there, right? So there's, it's based on six different primitives. One of them being static analysis, which is extremely important post-deployment. So when the smart contract goes live, it's interacting with other contracts, it's interacting with other oracles. And so there could be some hidden vulnerabilities there. And a standard audit just will not catch that, okay? Because an audit is just a snapshot in time. So it's got its limitations. And so with, this, with static analysis, we have an updated database of all the possible breaches and vulnerabilities, and we use that information to scan the smart contracts every single day. So that easy to read security score, it's actually updated in real time. So when you go and you look at some of the projects that have it, one day it might be 94, the next day it might be 92. And the reason why is because it's taking all of the primitives, it's averaging out the score to create that one final score. Right, I, I, th I think that that is where a lot of people um, actually struggle to understand what goes wrong. And we'll come to that next, but um, it's the interaction with other variables, right? In other words, you mentioned oracles and things like that. It's even if the contract itself has been checked, once it's interacting with another contract or another set of variables, uh, then a new vulnerability may show up that really was not present if the contract was just deployed independently of working with those things. Um, you know, this is why you hear so many cases where genuine teams are like, look, our liquidity pool has gone up the wahoo because uh, we just did not, we, we implemented this Oracle and we thought it was safe. And now, now this is what's going on. There's a price deviance and someone's taking advantage. Um, um, cool. And then that actually brings to your last service, which is penetration testing, right? Um, this is also a post-deployment service, is that correct, primarily? Uh, it's So pen tests are designed around the front end and back end. Um, and so the core of what we do is obviously around smart contracts, but there could be some vulnerabilities outside of those, right? So if you're a wallet or a dApp, you know, you may have that front end or you may have the back end where you have the APIs and there could be some vulnerabilities on both sides. So typically, whenever I'm talking to my clients, um, aside from going over the smart contracts, I'm asking them, okay, well, what other code do you have that could potentially have vulnerabilities? And a lot of times, there is a little bit of concern on both of sides of the smart contract. And so we want to make sure that not only are the smart contracts safe, but also the entire interface, the front end, the back end, um, and uh, especially around when you look at um, platforms that are cross-chain, uh, there isn't a, the, the pen test is needed 
in order for us to make sure that there it, that it is fully secure, uh, because there isn't a 100% accurate way of, of of testing that. And as we're expanding and there's more interoperability and bridges, we need these types of tools in order to ensure the safety of the entire platform. Okay, so that makes sense. And uh, which chains is um, is Certec able to assist with? Everything or primarily? Yeah, so just about everything. There are some chains that are uh, developing right now that are, you know, might be one dex away, right, from locking in that TVL and really expanding and blowing up. And so we're uh, we're always looking at new chains, uh, but you look at the 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 top layer ones that by market cap are the largest. I mean, we, we, we cover all those, Binance, Ethereum, Solana. Uh, you know, you look at Algorand and Elrond, you know, we're able to do those as well. Although the backlog might be a little bit longer for those, uh, we are constantly uh, looking at new layer ones uh, to, uh, to audit. Awesome. Um, we hear a lot about bridges these days um, and multi-chain deployments and stuff like that. How does that complicate the work of Certic or an audit in this case? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's always a race, right, uh, between innovation and security. Um, although we don't think that you have to sacrifice security for innovation, but we always strive to make sure that the security keeps up with it, right? And, and you're right, the more bells and whistles you have, the more interoperability, it does create more challenges, right? But these are challenges that we're uh, embracing, uh, not necessarily our, we, we feel like we kind of fight the, uh, we're kind of like the lone soldier in the, in the fight, so to speak. Um, because uh, right now there's uh, a lot of unknowns uh, because innovation is rapidly increasing. And with that, we have to maintain, uh, you know, the knowledge. And so we're constantly investing in our, in our team uh, because again, that is our largest asset uh, to make sure that we stay up to date on the technological innovations. So that way we can ensure that we are protecting uh, these different functionalities. Um, okay, so now that we know basically what Certic does do, what what can't Certic do, right? What can't a security audit really help with? Because I mean, we do keep seeing rug pulls and 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 dangerous situations, and of course, as you know, crypto becomes more mainstream, and uh, you know, easy money seems to be all over the place. Uh, we are seeing more and more sophisticated bad actors. Uh, who have had time to build sophisticated plans. I mean, you and I both communicate on Discord, for example, and the number of scams, uh, you know, free mints and trying to snipe people's data has been growing astronomically. I mean, I tell everyone, please turn off direct messages, um, but that's nothing when you compare it to um, some of the high profile contract interactions that you know, really went sour or people linking their MetaMask to certain certain free drops only to find out that they've had their whole wallet drained. So what can't a certain audit do? 
Well, so whether it's CERDIC or or any other auditor, you know, when whenever we uh, audit these smart contracts, we're essentially telling you what the state of these contracts are, right? And as I mentioned to you earlier, you as the client uh, have the option to either acknowledge those findings or to alleviate those findings. And so whenever we come back with the report, we want to make sure that we provide full transparency, right? Hence why we uh, post them on our leaderboard. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those findings have been fixed, right? Because when you look at the report, you can see uh, when there's different categories from major to uh, minor. Uh, and when you're looking at them, you know, it should tell you if, if those uh, findings have been addressed. So that's very important as an investor uh, or really anybody that's invested or, or interested in a specific project, it's really important to pay attention um, to those reports because it gives you a lot of information that could save you a lot, uh, a lot of headache. Uh, but I will say that from, from our experience, at least in the year 2021, the, the largest finding that we have found has been around centralization, right? And that's, it's, it's a challenge for a lot of uh, platforms to, to get this right. Um, and a lot of these findings are around uh, single wallets, right? And so when you're, when you're thinking about privileged functions, there's a few things that you should, that you should do in order to alleviate that type of finding, okay? So the first one is to use a multi-sig wallet. Uh, the second thing that you can do is you can pass on those privileged uh, functions to a DAO. Uh, well, and let, then... Let's just pause there for a moment. So for anyone who's not familiar, um, and they can go and check this out afterwards, I'll include some links. Uh, the premier uh, multi-sig that is used these days is the Gnosis Safe. And the way it works primarily is that um, a group of people uh, create a front wallet that requires multiple signatures on the back end via such things as MetaMask or your cold storage wallets. And that uh, then means that no single party uh, has full access to takeaway funds. And from a vulnerability point of view, it means that there's no single point that a hacker can come in and, uh, you know, do nasty things. Exactly, exactly. And so that's one way to decentralize the functionality, right? Take away the centralization component, uh, minimize your risks, which right. the, third, the third thing that I was going to mention is, uh, is time lock. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's something that everybody should, should use. And an example... So uh, before we go to time lock, let's just go down that DAO route as well. Um, again, in case anyone's not familiar with these terms, um, DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations. So they, they, they are the crypto equivalent of an organization or corporation. Um, and just like you would have with best practices of a corporation, you may have a group of trustees or board members uh, who are appointed to represent the majority of the members. And again, it takes away that requirement of one party having uh, all of the power, all of the trust. And then, as you said, time lock. Let's elaborate a bit on time lock. What, what is a time lock 
security uh, measure that we that one could put in place. So I don't know the uh, the exact specifics on um, on time lock, but essentially it. Uh, my understanding is it is the amount of time uh, before the founders can uh, essentially uh, suck the liquidity out of the protocol. Right, right. In other words, it's it's as I understand as well. Um, as we start to enter the era of DAOs. Uh, we are trying to make sure that the founders or the advisors don't just sell off their equity, which you would have again in a standard corporation, right? You incentivize your team with performance, but you don't want them to sell out and then run away with all of the money. And so a time lock can be used uh, to make sure that they don't have access to those coins that are meant to be their reward uh, structure. Uh, but you can also use time locks um, in the case of dividends and uh, coins that are being paid out for staking and so on, so that, again, even if there is a vulnerability that's found in the contract, people only have access to a limited amount of damage, right? So, for example, if a vault holds a large number of the coins for multiple years, even if someone were to somehow get into the initial contract or the initial vault, uh, they would only find a certain quantity of the coins. And so it can, can help to mitigate against risk and the amount of damage that can happen, as I understand it. Correct. Yeah. And, and so just to give you an example, so the DeFi protocol BZX, uh, you know, they were exploited uh, back in November for $55 million. And the the private key mismanagement was the, the main reason why uh, there was such an exploit. And so if those things that we just touched on, if those things are in place, well, that greatly minimizes the chances of this type of uh, exploit occurring. Right. And, and you know, we've also had a, a number of high profile cases where uh, the founders had everything in cold storage and then one of them died, right? And, no one could access the private keys. I mean, it was so secure that no one could, you know, there was, I, I forget the name, but there was an exchange that this happened and there was no rug pull, there was no bad agenda. No one knew how to get hold of uh, <laughs> the private key. You know, even, even people like Vitalik Buterin of Ethereum, uh, he had a fantastic story on the uh, Lex Friedman show. Um, you know, he said that a lot of people uh, drop him coins, right? Because they want to, you know, kind of show, look, Vitalik is holding our coin, right? And one of them was Shiba, um, and they dropped him a lot of coins. And when it started pumping, he's like, wow, I've got, I've got a couple of billion over here. I mean, it behooves me to give this to charity or do something with it. And he said, but he couldn't just access it because he had that hard wallet uh, split between two private seed phrases. He had half and half was with his family in Canada. So he had to fly home, put it together and then kind of sell it off. And he said, and the Sheba community was furious because they thought that it would, you know, kind of like was burnt basically was sitting with him forever. So we still have these crazy stories, um, which is no different than gold and money, right? I mean, there's ships that sink with gold bars, right? I mean, it's not... You know, once you make something akin to gold or a, a rare commodity that, you know, can be destroyed or lost, uh, we are going to continue to have some of these crazy stories um, 
And um, yeah, when you set up DAOs or you set up contracts, you've got to you've got to have these you know things in place for for the inevitable possible situation. Um, so basically, you're saying that the main concern in 2021 was centralization issues. Yes, absolutely. That was the biggest um, risk that we have. And we've done over 1,700 audits over the course of the entire year. So, yeah. So, so just to summarize, even if a contract comes back perfectly, I mean, it's as clean as can be, it picks up all the boxes, and it's deployed beautifully, uh, everything can still go a very bad way if there are problems with um, who's holding the keys and um, who's in, in governance, right? In other words, there are still, as much as we wanna be decentralized, we still, when it's an active company at the very least, or it's an active management team, do still require a, a human element involved. And that's where you're saying the biggest danger is. Correct. And, and that's why you've got, you know, you mentioned SkyTrace earlier. That's why you've got these tools in place. If things do go wrong, well, you can track one wallet to another, right? Unless it's, you know, interacting with the Tornado Cash Mixer, you should be able to locate and pinpoint where those funds are. But that's why you have those tools in place. That, that actually brings up an interesting question that I get asked a lot. Have, have Certic you know, and you, you may not be able to say regarding who, but has Certic been called yet to testify in any high profile cases? Not to my knowledge. You know, I I, uh, I don't think that's thing that might be a little bit above my pay grade in terms of getting involved on the on the legal side. Um, ho however, uh, I'm not familiar with any of those type of cases, but, you know, as we continue to grow and the consequences just, you know, become bigger and bigger. Um, you know, I, I think that even those players that are trying to do their best to be the good guys and protect, uh, I think that everybody needs to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, legally equipped, right? Um, for any possible um, scenarios. Right. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, it, 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 it becomes a question in general, you know, it's like, why do we trust a public company, right? And at the end of the day, a lot of it has to do with what well, we trust the stock market that's hosting them, right? We've got our equivalent of our exchanges. We trust the accountants that are doing the audits. Now we've got the equivalent of Certic and other big players. And we trust the fact that it's not so easy um, for this board of governors and management just to disappear, right? People don't just disappear. And the more zeros that are involved, uh, the more people are willing to spend money to track them down all over the world, right? Um, and, and, you know, financial companies also don't have assets, right? It's not like crypto is uniquely special in, its, in, the, in the fact that it doesn't have, you know, assets, you know, Coca-Cola, well, we can go and seize their factories, right? Or we can go and seize their machinery. But there are financial companies, you know, big banks that are primarily their assets, their value is in their um, transportable assets, their, their cash and so on. And I think that as we grow out in the space, um, it, 
this is not going to be a hideout for criminals. Um, you know, we, there, there are already a number of crypto coins um, that have been used for suspected bad behavior, and exchanges are no longer listing them. You know, and that yeah, itself yeah. is a red flag. Absolutely. And you, you bring up a very good point in terms of being able to identify these perpetrators. And, you know, the community, the, the people are just becoming more and more knowledgeable around crypto. They, they're having a, they have a checklist almost um, to determine what are some of the things that am I going to be looking for in terms of red flags, right? So one topic that is a little bit controversial is this need for KYC, right? Uh, and when I say KYC, I don't necessarily mean from a banking standpoint. I mean from you know KYCing these these uh, founders that are coming out with these different projects, right? Uh, because you've got the, the 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 core value of crypto is decentralization, right, and the ability to be anonymous. Uh, but at the same time, from a security standpoint, having that sense of transparency, you know, being able to KYC somebody gives them a sense of relief, right? And if, and if we want to increase adoption, we're going to need to bring as much transparency to the environment, right? And this is just my personal, this is uh, aside, you know, not representing the opinions of CERDIC, this is my personal opinion that, uh, you know, some centralization to a certain degree is needed in order for us to increase adoption and services such as KYC, which CERDIC now provides, uh, will help that transparency and and uh, bring more adoption into the space. Yeah, I, I think I, I I tend to agree with that. I I think that um, we are blessed to have had Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, I think as as ideas go, we are blessed that he did it anonymously because it allowed his ideas to flourish instead of the person. And the mystery around him has added to I think Bitcoin's mass adoption and Ethereum's adoption. Um, but at the same time, I think as we move into more and more complex things such as DAOs that are actually managing assets and, and you know, crypto exchanges and stuff where you've kind of got to interact regularly with these people, I think it um, fully anonymous is no longer acceptable. Um, I still tend to myself when I'm investing, and again, this is not investment advice, please do your own research. And I mean that, please do your own research uh, because the space is getting more and more busy and one really can't keep up with everything. So, um, but what I am finding is that I will still um, take pseudo anonymous teams seriously. And what I mean by that is if someone has a track record of excellence and good behavior under a pseudo identity, um, that is often enough for me. And so a perfect example would be the Board Ape Yacht Club. Um, I would feel strongly that any other product that those four guys put out uh, will be done with the same rigorous standard and excellence. And because we can track wallets, I can see it's those guys. But that list is getting smaller and smaller. Um, and more and more after a very difficult 2021, I think, because it was a very successful 2021 in terms of crypto's mass adoption and profits and so on. But there were some horror stories that people don't want to talk about as much as they should. And I saw that as well. Teams were the weakest link, uh, both in terms of uh, just poor management. Uh, as you said, uh, in a few of the examples, I mean, there was a NFT collectible mint where the developer rugged 
the founders, right? In other words, he deployed the contract for them and then at the last minute changed the wallet address and disappeared, right? So these were the common theme, I think. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think it's twofold. We need to, in most cases, we need a fully docs team or KYC team. We need to know where they are. We need to know the intention. And I think people need to start asking these technical questions. Um, you know, very few uh, NFT collectible sets go through an audit. And that seems to be acceptable because again, everyone's using a similar template. But even if you say, look, I don't want to miss on this project because it's an opportunity and this is the industry standard right now, you still should ask those founders to get on an AMA and ask them these questions. Who's deploying the contract? Uh, how are you going to make sure that it's deployed correctly? Uh, who on your team has successfully deployed a contract, et cetera, et cetera. I think that if we don't ask these questions and everyone's like, shh, don't ask that, you're gonna FUD, uh, we're never going to progress. Uh, because, you know, unless we ask for higher standards, uh, we're not going to get them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think a big uh, misconception, and maybe because uh, for a lot of founders that have never uh, been in crypto before, um, a big misconception is that by KYCing, their information is public. Uh, and that's actually not correct. So when you have a reputable source verify who you are, that information stays private and it's not shared with the public. So I think that's one of the biggest hesitations for a lot of projects to KYC because they don't want their information to be out there in, in, in public. Yeah. Yeah. I even had um, a person I was, you know, and I won't say who, but I, was, I had a friend I was speaking to and he's done very, very well uh, trading crypto. And he is in the Eastern European countries and he's decided to continue living there. And he won't do KYCs or get docs because he's, he's really scared about people realizing how wealthy he is in his community and the mafia showing up. So there are people who have genuine concerns, uh, but getting a independent company, I mean, Certic does not have a requirement to report your findings, as I understand it, right? Unless there's a criminal you know, um, request from a court, uh, CERTIC has no obligation to give that data out to anyone. Uh, the KYC is internal and a stamp of approval of we've done the basics required for know your client. Um, and, and yeah, right, is that correct? Uh, are you referring to uh, if something was to go wrong and the project has been KYC'd? No, I, I'm saying that if CERTIC does do a KYC and you say it's for internal use, uh, that means that CERTIC's not giving out that information to a government or to a tax authority unless there's, I assume, some criminal request, right? I mean, both of you come from banking. Right. That's the only time, uh, you know, a Swiss private bank ever gave out information is if there's an actual court ruling that says we need to hand over information because we've got a criminal request. Uh, Correct. Yeah, if there's an authoritative entity that is requesting the information, then, of course, by law, you know, CERTIC would provide that information, but, uh, you know, we're, we, we take privacy very seriously. Uh, we put a lot of different systems in place in order to, uh, to protect our clients, to protect the intellectual property, because when you think about it, you know, we collect uh, a lot of code, right? And so we have to protect those assets. And so uh, we put that at the very top of our list in terms of priority. Wonderful.
Wonderful. Good. Well, I think we covered all of my questions. Um, what are you most excited about right now in the crypto space? Or in DeFi or I'm so towards the end of the year, this metaverse has has taken off, right? I feel like the beginning of the year in 2021 has been a, it was about DeFi. And then all of a sudden it was about NFTs and collectibles. And now I feel like people are turning their heads now to the metaverse, right? And you've got Decentraland and you've got Sandbox and you've got a lot of great smaller up and coming metaverse projects that are really bringing a lot of value to this space. Uh, I'm excited about seeing where this goes and also the, the play to earn games. Right now, there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between a game like Axie Infinity and the mainstream games like Call of Duty and Fortnite. I think the exciting part would be once those guys feel like they're missing out and they jump on board, right? So when you can take a skin from Call of Duty and, and, and plug it into a different game, that I think in the year 2022, I think we're going to start seeing more mainstream game developers jumping into this space. And, and were you, would you consider yourself a gamer? I am, I like to balance, I like a, a balanced lifestyle. So every once in a while I'll, I'll hop on and kind of get away from the real world and jump into the virtual world. Yeah. How about oh, yourself? And, and, and what's, what's your go-to pleasure? First person shooter or more of a grind like RuneScape or EVE? What, what, what I'm, was your... I'm a uh, first person shooter type of guy. Fantastic. Uh, I'm more of a city builder guy. So, you know, the yeah. <laughs> coming metaverse is a really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with Cleopatra and Pharaoh and, uh, you know, some cities. So uh, the whole world building that we're seeing is, is, is really exciting. So I agree with you. Play to earn games and metaverse platforms are, uh, for me as well, the most exciting thing. And then, um, you know, actually seeing it all come together, right? Um, you know, a lot of these, um, different projects on, in, in crypto have been developing almost by themselves, right? And um, you start to see them all come together where you've got in-game currencies that require staking, that require rewards. You start to see um, in the NFT collectibles, mini games starting to be developed, right? There's a lot of cross-pollination going on. And that's very exciting to me because that's when, uh, you know, if anything, if anything I've noticed with crypto people, uh, in general, is their creativity and their ability to think out of the box and solve uh, problems that we didn't even know were problems, right? Like, as I was saying to my mother the other day, no one even realized how disadvantaged we felt by the fact that we couldn't really own anything on online, right? That we just could log into our, our Facebook accounts, our social media account, our Twitter accounts, and now that someone has said, you know, you know, he started explaining what NFTs are and all of that, people are like, wait, you know, surely that should be the, the standard that we all go by. And I think that that switch, that change is going to come very, very quickly uh, from music to games uh, to even tweets, right? Jack Dorsey sold his tweet, I think it was for $2 million. People are going to want to own their stuff. And just this month, Twitter integrated, did you see? Twitter integrated that hexagon where, you know, you now have to actually, if you want to use an NFT and get that special equivalent of a blue check mark for NFTs, 
uh, you have to connect your wallet and, and then has to check it out. So this is just blowing my mind and excites me and is the reason I get up in the morning. What are your thoughts on, you know, some of the big names coming into this space as well? You've got Adidas, Coca-Cola, you know, they're jumping into the metaverse as well. How do you feel like their presence will impact the future? So, um, you know, I, I have the privilege of knowing quite a few crypto whales. And I think what a lot of people who are looking in and going, I want to be into that, are missing, especially from the big brands, is that the majority of money here, the sitting power, the holding power is still predominantly crypto whales, right? These are the guys who made their money with crypto and now believe in investing that money back into assets in the space. And so when I look at a project that's coming into the space, I'm always looking if they're adding value to the space, right? And if they've connected with crypto native teams. So for example, just a simple example in NFT collectibles, uh, what I would say is Ozzy Osbourne, right? There were a number of high profile celebrities like Shakira Neal that did drops that didn't really go anywhere. Whereas Ozzy Osbourne, you know, connected with a native team, he connected up with a lot of um, well-known crypto projects like Board Ape Yacht Club and stuff and got them involved in the project. And that I think really pulled it all together because you bring star power with a celebrity and you bring the interest and kind of meta that's important in NFT collectibles. And so I think as we start to see big brands coming in, the ones that will be important are the ones that are either onboarding mainstream people um, or kind of using NFTs as models, right? Like I think Adidas did it so well with Bored Apes where they dress the Bored Ape in an Adidas tracksuit and now is essentially an Adidas model, um, you know, and, and a very high profile one that dropped recently was Hate Beast. They're also going that route, right? Where your hate is your model and so that lends itself to all these different brands coming along and saying, hey, can I hire your supermodel, your ape, uh, to brand my clothing? So um, I think we're just at the beginning of that. And then, you know, of course, anything that's offering, um, presenting itself as a membership token, right? In other words, if I could go and buy a McDonald's NFT that for in perpetuity gives me 5% discount to 10% discount and stuff, I think that that's a no brainer, right? You know, we've all got these wallets on our phones now and stuff. Um, it's just so much cooler than carrying a card because then you get the community, you get the art and you get, you know, an access token. So I think as long as we see creative things start to happen, uh, brands not just trying to kind of make a quick buck and then run away, but brands who say, how can I enhance my offering um, via an NFT or via crypto? I think we're going to see some very exciting things. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that we are very early on in the process and even some of the more reputable influencers, which you know I you know, carefully pick and choose who I listen to. But uh, one of my favorite influencers is George from Cryptos R Us. I feel like the guy is very smart, very knowledgeable, brings a lot of value to the space. But even he is brand new to the metaverse space. And the other day I was watching him walk around Decentraland and it was very nice to see that 
you know, he's also coming from humble beginnings. He walked around. He's like, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. Oh, look at this part of the world. So it was really nice to see. It, it was a true visualization of how early on we are in the process that somebody like him, who is knowledgeable, has been in the space since 2017, isn't quite up to speed yet on what the metaverse really is. So it's, it's, it really is an exciting time. Yeah. And there's, of course, you know, any any cool crypto critics who are listening, there is no the metaverse. Uh, there are lots of a metaverses or platforms trying to uh, offer something for communities. And um, we will see which one of them knock it out of the park. Um, awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mikhail. Uh, this was really informative. And I think my viewers um, are going to have... Uh, a great time listening to this and probably some follow-up questions. So we'll be in touch if any of those get sent my way. And I'm going to include Mikhail's information um, underneath in the information part of this YouTube uh, video. So you can all reach out to Certic if you want to get a, if I remember correctly, you do a free appraisal, right? If anyone wants to do a project, Certic offers a, a free uh, appraisal. Um, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If anybody's just open to having a conversation, there's never any kind of obligation. You know, we can provide a quotation for you. If you just want to learn about the services that we offer to see if Certic is a fit, I'm more than happy to, to assist or point you in the right direction. Wonderful. And one thing that I, you know, I noticed when I was looking at um, the Certic site, I mean, I would love to see some kind of membership uh, program for the institutional side. Um, I mean, you kind of readily make it all available anyway. Um, but, um, you know, because everything is on the client side, right? Like with those extra services, um, maybe it, it behooves, you know, a membership structure where they pay for you to do uh, further or dig, uh, deep dives into kind of different projects, even if those projects themselves didn't ask for it. That's a very interesting uh, perspective, uh, Dylan, that you bring up. You know, we, we always try to think of it as a double-edged sword that if you're a retail investor or if you're on the institutional side, you get value from this. But hey, you know, it might be something to take to the, to, the, to the guys up top. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Mikhail. Thank you, Dylan, for having me. It was a real pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Awesome.